So if Jesus gives you an ought, you should. We assume we can, okay? That's not what Jesus is doing here at all. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Scripture First, the podcast that explores how the Lutheran lectionary is working in your life. I'm your host, Mason Van Essen. It's official. The Luther House of Study team has made its way through the entire lectionary, as this week's text is the text we discussed on episode one three years ago. In this text, Jesus uses strong language when he said, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. We assume the ought implies the can. If Jesus says we ought to do something, we think we can do it. The truth of the matter is, we can't put our family or our life in the second tier. There are idols. Why would Jesus tell us to do something we don't have the power to do? Dr. Chris Krogan explains that Jesus has to drive our sin forward in order for us to cry out, Lord, have mercy. Only then can God take away our idols and replace them with his promise of forgiveness. Let's get to this week's conversation. Here's Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, When he had laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot then, while the other is still far away, He sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. And now on to this week's conversation. Welcome back to Scripture First. We have Dr. Chris Krogan with us this week. Thanks for being here, Dr. Krogan. It's a privilege. We're at the uh, 14th chapter of Luke, Dr. Krogan. We were kind of commenting before that this might be the first time we're repeating a text. Yeah, right. Uh, which we've made it through the, made whole, it through the lectionary. whole lectionary. Yeah, uh, so which is, if, if this one's a bad episode, go back and listen go to three years ago. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> 2019 <laughs> was a better time. <laughs> if, you didn't get, if you don't get anything about this one, then you can go, go back, back and you know, yeah. so do, do the old play. <laughs> Well, uh, maybe uh, just to start, Dr. Krogan, to give us some context on where we're at in Luke, um, and then we can kind of get started with uh, our text this week. Yeah, Luke 14 is right after Jesus has announced that he's headed to Jerusalem, 
And then through most of the chapter 14, there's a lot of election uh, texts going on here where there's banquets and God's election. And so it's important to keep that in mind as he's headed to Jerusalem and he's basically starting to set up of, okay, now do you understand what being elected means for you or what it means to actually be my disciple? And so this is kind of starting to put the cards on the table face up, so to speak. And he has a crowd. Yeah, he's got a large crowd traveling with him, which is, again, the, the part of the traveling is, I'm headed to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so do they know what they're what's ahead of for them? I mean, mm-hmm. and Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you're going to kill the prophets kind of thing. And this, he has said this just prior mm-hmm. to this text. Yeah. So he's laid it out there. How far into, for contextual purposes... How long has Jesus been with this crowd, his followers, the disciples, etc.? Well, this is t- moving toward the end of his ministry, so he's just about in Jerusalem and about to go on trial. So it's been, you know, historians will say maybe two to three years if you're lucky Jesus okay. has done all this. But mm-hmm. it, it's it's still just, it is interesting to think about that historically in the sense that, sure, you can draw a large crowd to a speech or an event today where people come to a specific location, yep. but... Jesus is having these people follow him around. Yeah. It's not just a one event. They're mm-hmm. leaving their hometowns to just walk yep. on the road with him. Exactly. Yeah. Which makes um, his first words all the more interesting because he's not trying to, doesn't seem like he's trying to rally the troops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, right. Uh, whoever comes to me and does not hate his hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself cannot be my disciple. Yep. Okay. So my first question for you, just because... It comes up a few times, I believe. The word hate is quite strong here. Yep. And I think a lot of people will find issue with that because mm-hmm. of the fact that we're told to don't honor our father and mother. Yeah, don't be a and hater. Yeah, yeah. You know, honor thy na- love thy neighbor, all of that stuff. So yeah. why do they use the word hate here and what does it mean? It's a fairly strong English translation, but if we understand it from what the Greek says, it's not doesn't like right now, don't be a hater. When somebody says that to you, it has emotion tied to it, you know, that you really dislike somebody for who they are as it, as in their essence, you know? And so that's not what this is saying at all. The Greek word is meseo, to hate, and it's an expression to kind of turn away from something or if you don't kind of like not have it be your top priority is another way of saying it. So hate in our current English context wouldn't be probably the best translation. A better translation is if you don't set it off to the side as opposed to me. Right. And so what we're, we're going to get at that because what Jesus is starting to lay out here, if you don't take your father, mother, wife, children, and put them at second tier, mm-hmm. then you can't be my disciple. Or if you make them an idol. I mean, Essentially like is what they're your family, your relatives, right. your own life. As an idol. Yep. What's it mean to have your life as an idol? I mean, that's if... To to say me, myself, and I, I will take care of me first, including your relationship with God, because what's going to happen is you are going to actually self-preserve. So when, when, you know, somebody comes along and says, are you a Christian? And if you say you're a Christian, you're going to die. You'll say, no, I'm not a Christian, Mm -hmm. you know? or something of the sort. So it's literally not being able to say, I will die for you, Jesus, which is an important point because what we're going to talk about here in a minute is a lot of people are going to take this, oh, I need to do this to be a disciple. 
mm-hmm. they and we will we'll use this and we've I'm sure over the last three years somehow we've come up with this conversation and ought which is you should do it implies a can that is I can do it mm-hmm. so if Jesus gives you an ought you should we assume we can, we can. Mm-hmm. okay that's not what Jesus is doing here at all mm-hmm. why would we say that's not what Jesus is doing here at all because we know. This is before Jesus goes on trial and before the cross, and we know that nobody did it. Mm-hmm. So Jesus didn't lay out there to his disciples saying, okay, now you're going to do all these things, including give up your own life. What does Peter do? Preserves. He preserves his life, as well as the rest of the disciples. Nobody did it. So that's how we know that Jesus isn't putting an ought out there mm-hmm. that implies a can. So, so you have to read that, and that's part of what's going on. But it's very important that father and mother, because these are the things that we love the most. Wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself. Well, remember now we got um, daily bread, and we've talked about this time and again. And Luther's explanation daily bread is food, clothing, home, family, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's a daily bread. Now, daily bread, again, we've talked about in the past, is the law. Yeah. Daily bread is not the gospel. And so if you start to idolize that which God provides for you in the law, which is daily bread, which would be father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, if you make those your priority, this is what we were talking about maybe a month ago, storing up your treasure Mm -hmm. in the bins. This is that same stuff, making those things more important than what God has done or provided for you. So Jesus continues to just lay this out. So he's not saying don't do it. He's not saying don't take care of your family. He's not saying don't take care of yourself, don't take care of this stuff. But you have to keep God first. Well, he's saying it will happen to you, which is why, if just listen to this, and even life itself cannot be my disciple. Now that cannot not is a Greek word is dunamis. That is is unable, not capable. Dunamai. You don't have the power to be my disciple if you don't give those things up. Mm-hmm. Again, don't be thinking that because he says it, you can do it. Yeah. You won't be able to do it. So this is gonna what this see, but that's also a really tricky thing because, exactly. and it continues on throughout the rest of this reading as well. Mm-hmm. We're all sinners. We all do it yep. all the time. Yep. We always put our job, our career, our stress, our children, our family above God. Yeah. So our it's money. essentially saying you you can't be my you won't be my disciple because yeah. you won't give up or you won't make secondary. But Jesus took sinners in your own life. Yep. As his disciples. So how does that work? Yep. Since we're always messing this part up. Yep. Jesus uses your sin to make you say, Lord, have mercy. So what he's going to continue to do is pile on the fact that you can't do it by showing you can't do it. So let's go again. This is why it's really important for you to teach children to memorize the small catechism. Because when I'm sitting with confirmation students and I say, and they're having the same conversation with me, I say, now let's go to our third article, Apostles' Creed, and what is the explanation? I cannot. See, did you just hear that word? By my own, now look at that. 
effort or understanding, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. In other words, I cannot be his disciple. But the Holy Spirit calls me through the gospel. So as preachers are preaching this, they need to take that explanation of the Third Article of Apostles' Creed and drop it on people and say, mm-hmm. Luther understood you cannot do. And how does it happen? The only way you become this disciple is by the Holy Spirit giving you the gospel. And what's the gospel? Not that go and try harder to give up your spouse, give up your <laughs> yeah. father, mother. The gospel is you're forgiven because you made them an idol. And so that's what we're going to continue to unpack here. Yeah, this is not some sort of challenge to you to try to do this, to try to make your family secondary, to make your own life secondary to God, to try to love God better. That's not at all what Jesus is saying here. No, but it's easy to lose track of that when you're in the middle of reading the gospel lessons and then you've got just finished through some some lectionary pieces on the election. You're thinking, okay... I need to be his disciple. I'm elected. How do I demonstrate that? Well, Jesus says, anybody that is going to be my disciple, heads up, you're going to take your father and mother and you're going to set them off to the side, your wife and your children. Now, why? Because those are things that give you your sense of self. Now, when your children is your identity, guess what? They're going to die and you're going to be lost. When your spouse is your identity, dead, lost. When your parents are killed and you didn't, can't think you make it without mom and dad, dead, lost. This is why God says, I'm I a jealous guy. This. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, this, is, this is one of the hardest pills, yeah. especially for parents to swallow, that mm-hmm. somehow they've made their kids, their kids yeah. increase their sin. They think <laughs> that giving their life away to their kids is their virtue. Right. And it's really hard to tell this to a parent. Nope, your love for your kid is idolatry. <laughs> and it is, and along with my cat, <laughs> idolatry. You know, Cats should be thrown in here. Dogs probably not, but cats, yeah. <laughs> cats idolize themselves. Cats, I guess cats are your cross that you carry. I, I do, yeah. So <laughs> you are maybe uh, fulfilling uh, that. Uh, Taking cat. care of right. cats. That's going to be the episode title for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Grogan carries a cat cross. Uh, so so continuing can, can, Wait, wait. Yeah, Can we talk a little bit about a, what, what does it mean that God is a jealous God? Yeah. So, uh, you know, you, you hear about jealous boyfriends and girlfriends. Mm-hmm. So you never want to be a jealous boyfriend and girlfriend. You, 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 you want to be bad secure rap. enough. You get a bad rap for yes. being a jealous boyfriend or girlfriend, or you, you're like, I don't want to go out with them because they're just, or they're extremely jealous. What's behind their jealousy? Inse- mm-hmm. Insecure. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of like times they're insecurity. concerned about what do the they person want? cheating on them, or they want that person all to themselves. They want control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they want the person all to themselves. Mm-hmm. They don't want so they. And so this is what we would say. Unhealthy relationships are that they remove you from all your other relationships, right? <laughs> yeah. This is what God's doing. Yeah, unhealthy, says, I, am a, I am a jealous God. <laughs> that mm-hmm. is to say, he wants your heart alone. And guess mm-hmm. what? When God sets his mind on doing something, can you thwart it? No. You're not going to keep him from raising you from the dead, nor will you keep him from going to the cross, nor will you keep him from saying your sin is forgiven, and you will keep him from finally having the last word over your heart. So he will remove these idols from you. And by the way, when he removes them, 
it will be really painful, which is why you're like, this is really hard to hear. Because you know that if your child dies, this is one of the worst things that happens in life is a parent loses a child. Yeah. Right? Or a premature death of a parent or your spouse, whatever. You know, so these are the things that are going on. And God says, yep. And this is the challenge that we have to face. So maybe let's just go yeah. uh, continue on. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Uh, maybe Dr. Krogan, you can just, it seems pretty similar to the, the verse before. Yeah. Um, the sort of, you need to do this and yet yep. uh, implying that you can yep. just say a couple words about that. Yeah. So to carry the cross again, we've talked about in this past is, is not that you are, are inflicting yourself with pain. You know, you're not, you know, whipping yourself across the back and say, oh, woe is me or trying to become, you know, really humble or anything like that. Carrying the cross is actually having your idols and your possessions removed from you. It's actually laying your life down and having people betray you and you don't get even. It's actually not trying to make the law work for you. It's actually letting your enemies even spit upon you, slander you, hit you and kill you. So it's, it's literally having no um, recompense, getting even with anybody. Was so, this an, another scenario where you can't try to exactly. do this, right? right. Like, it, like that you only do that as a reaction from having Christ's promise in your ear. Exactly. Because right? we can't, can't do it. You can't just have it top of mind and being, okay, the next time someone spits in my face, like, right. I'm going to be the bigger next person. I'm going to try harder. Next time someone insults me at work or right. belittles me. Well, you I'm start looking gonna... for crosses to carry. Yeah. You, you find right, your, yeah. your salvation, your certainty, and the fact that you're... That you're suffering. That you're suffering. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a problem, too. We call that a negative theology of glory. That somehow, I, oh, I've got it so bad, so I'm, Jesus must really love me. <laughs> no, that's not it either. But what it is, is you're right. You can't um, get out of the soul. Now, it is true that the disciples post-resurrection have their lives taken from them. Mm-hmm. Stephen is stoned. And mm-hmm. what is Stephen doing? He's not defending himself. No. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, that story is pretty clear. Mm-hmm. So all the disciples, literally, Paul's taken away to Rome in chains, and he's not fighting it. Mm-hmm. So that's really important to see and to watch. Is so, But that's only after having received mercy. And what do you receive mercy for? For not being good at the law. It feels like this whole gospel reading is about the law, because even when he continues into his next example, and he talks, he starts talking about... Um, sitting down, building a tower, yep. who's not going to estimate the cost first yep. um, and decide if they want to complete it. Um, mm-hmm. And then he gives another one about um, a, wh- what sort of king is going to wage war against another king before first sitting down and figuring out if they can actually win that war. Yep. So it's, it's it, all law-based because yeah. it's still that calculation of can I win? Is it worth it? Well, or is, or am it I even capable? Way. Yeah. So who does not? So he's just basically saying, now sit down and count the cost. Look at it. You're not going to be able to do this. I mean, it's not sit down and, you know, be a good steward and manage your money. Well, that's not what he's saying there. Who does not actually come to terms with what they're headed for before they ever get into it? Mm-hmm. And what you're headed for is the inability to do it. 
And so this is why it's very important. You know, you build a tower and does not sit down, estimate the cost, see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, if he's laid the foundation, can't do it, they'll ridicule him. So they're like, do you see what we're, I'm setting you up for? You're, it's not going to be your success in the law. We're saying this, you know, what king going to wage war? And now here's the important part. Asks for terms of peace because he knows he's not going to win the war. Mm-hmm. In other words, he asks for mercy. Surrenders. He surrenders. He says, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm dead in the water. That literally is what Jesus is up to. God is up to because our hearts are going to chase after that which serves us. So why did any of you, which all three of you now are married, why did you get married? Because that spouse gives you something you need. That's it. It's selfish. Getting married is a selfish enterprise. It really is. Same with having children. This is the part of the people. What are you saying? I'm giving up my sleep. I'm giving up my freedom. Mm-hmm. No, you got something out of having this child. There is some benefit to you. Otherwise, you don't love anything that you're not getting benefit for. Which is why you know I love my cat. I get benefit on my cat. You know, the you only thing, the only thing, in, my... only thing in this world that actually gives me gives me you know affection. You know, so yeah. <laughs> comes up and purrs, and I'm like, whoa, look at that. You know, I'm loved. Yeah, finally, something, something. <laughs> We need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Off, we're going to start giving you save therapy. That for <laughs> we'll all bring our animals in one day and see which ones don't tear yeah. each other but, apart. But, but that's, you know, so you love that which serves you mm-hmm. and serves and the need of yours. this is where it gets really tough as well because of the fact that, like, it's a super common phrase nowadays in the world, in TV, in movies, of unconditional love. Yeah. And that example of what is the one unconditional love in this world, besides love of God, it's love of a parent to the child. And that's used everywhere. And it's a false, it's false. Mm -hmm. You don't have unconditional love from creature to creature, person to person, just doesn't happen. I mean, if you're, if you dig down, honestly, there is some benefit. You won't like it that you're saying that because there's no virtue in you. Yeah. If you say, no, Makes I'm, you feel very I got sinful. married. For, well, I got married for selfish reasons. I had a child for selfish reasons, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So that's what's going on here. So that's why Jesus is saying, I'm going to take away all your idols, mm-hmm. all of your selfishness, and give you a clean heart. Mm-hmm. So then we get to the last verse. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if everything hasn't been taken away from you. That is to say, your heart's going to chase after mm-hmm. that which you think sustains you every mm-hmm. day. I know we've talked about this a little bit, but this, can you help me see again where the gospel comes in? Because there's a lot of law here. It and is. for, here, not me, Adam. If Adam were to preach on this next Sunday, yep. what does he need to be thinking about in terms of, Relaying from the pulpit to yeah. the well, congregation. This is the chance for the preacher to be very honest about how Jesus actually enhances your sin. That he actually turns the heat up on your sin. Because if you think you can do something, then you will be your own God. So he is actually moving everything that you have, that you can bargain with God for, or that you can barter or anything that you can lay out and say, look, 
I deserve this. Mm-hmm. So he's removing. Jesus is not self help. He's not self help. <laughs> like the act, the uh, the opposite. Exactly. <laughs> the opposite. <laughs> the actual opposite. Yep. Yeah. Because he first has to kill you. Yep. In order to raise you, mm-hmm. and he first has to show you your sin for you to cry out, Lord, have mercy, and he then delivers what he promised. Mm-hmm. So the biggest thing on this is to say, now, before we get into this, remember Jesus promised all of you something, the forgiveness of all your sin. Now, here's your sin. And at the end, now, now remember, Jesus forgives you all your sin, and but you won't want his forgiveness because when you get his forgiveness... It means you did it. <laughs> and so you'll do everything in your power to keep him at a distance because it mm-hmm. takes away all your ego. But that is the, the, the challenge of preaching this yep. to, to pastors to say, you have to be bold in actually calling out sin. Yeah. yeah and just saying. No one like, wants to hear this. No. And I'm sure it's not the most pleasant thing it. to have to to name out there in the world no. you know, you're going to get rid of killed yourself come to terms it until, feels kind of good well until you're the one that's had it all taken away mm-hmm. then this is like ah yep. he did do it and now i'm his i'm a failure it's up to god i don't have to rely on myself lord have mercy yeah. do what you promised And on that note, we've reached the end of this week's episode, my friends. Thank you to Dr. Chris Krogan for teaching us that it's the preacher's role to show us how Jesus enhances our sin. He turns the heat up on our self-idolization, because if we think we can do something, we'll be our own God. Jesus has to kill you in order to raise you. He holds up our sin and removes our idols, and we're left to cry out, Lord, have mercy. That's when the Holy Spirit replaces your sin with the peace that surpasses all understanding. Your sins are forgiven, and you have new life in Christ. Luther House of Study's mission is to strengthen Lutheran leadership and ministries for the proclamation of the gospel. We wouldn't be able to serve current and future ministry professionals, as well as members of the church, without the generous support of people just like you. If you or your congregation is interested in sponsoring an episode of Scripture First, please send Sarah Stenson an email at sarah.stenson at lutherhouseofstudy.org. That's sarah.stenson at lutherhouseofstudy.org. You can find her email in the show notes or find more information about supporting Luther House of Study at lutherhouseofstudy.org. Thanks again for joining us this week. Remember, God removes your idols and forgives your sin. We'll see you next time on Scripture First.